0: Talking with Hanala, the host of the Weekly Squeeze, all about conservatism, the differences between Judaism and Christianity, and how she transitioned from music to podcasting, just like me. All this and more on today's episode of the Classically Abbey podcast. Welcome to the Classically Abby podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here we talk about classic living, traditional values, and modern femininity. If you aren't already subscribed to the podcast, make sure to do so and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Today, I'm interviewing Hanala from the Weekly Squeeze podcast, and I'm so excited you are here. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure. I'm thrilled. Hi, Abby. (laughs) Hi. So I was actually on your podcast first
1: that's right we made a connection
0: we made a connection and now you are online and i'm so excited to have you here uh if you are new to the podcast we have generally th- two three or four segments when i have an interview it's three segments we do an interview and then we follow that up with a faith talk and we finish up answering premium subscriber questions to my Substack. so let's just get right into the interview i want people to get to know you i want people to know who you are and i I think that you're such an interesting person, so let's start uh, there. I can know. you tell? <laughs> can you tell my subscribers a little bit about yourself, how you got started in podcasting, and what your mission is?
1: All right. So my name is Hanala. I'm a Floridian, born and raised. I grew up in Miami Beach, Florida. Typical American. Um, long story short, after having a traditional uh, Jewish education. Um, I ended up in New York City looking for my husband. I was officially on the dating market, and uh, because New York is such a hub for singles, and you know it was even back in the day, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, uh, I moved into an apartment there, and I just started serial dating. Like that was that was the process. Um, and then, much to my parents' dismay, I met someone that I was not set up with. He was, he was working on Forty Seventh Street. Um, you know, but he was my shirt. he was my destined one. And it took a, a while until my parents accepted that maybe it wasn't exactly what they had in mind for me. Um, but you know, we're here we are all these years later. So definitely I made the right choice. Right. It um, worked out. <laughs> yes, it worked out. So we lived in New York for a while, and then after I had my first three kids, my first three girls, I said, I cannot take this anymore. I'm moving to Florida. And I moved back to Florida and we bought a house and everything was terrific. Um, And then the 2016 election uh, rolled around and I was just like, I was really, really like entrenched. Like, I I think I lost part of my eyesight just from Twitter alone. Like, that's how (laughs) like obsessed I was. And at some point we were sitting outside one night looking up at the stars. And I said to my husband, you know, I know you're Israeli and I know you don't want to go back, but I think we should make Aliyah. I think we should move to Israel. And that is pretty much what we did. And I brought my I mean, people said I was crazy, like you're going to kill your music career. But, you know, God has uh, a way to help everyone no matter where they are. And here we are. And my music career is thriving and the podcast is doing well, uh, you know, as well. So, um, yeah, uh, I've, you know, followed my destiny, I would say. And you asked me what my yeah, you asked me what my mission is. Well, as a singer, my mission was always multi multi-leveled or you know uh there are a lot of things that that were important to me um first of all obviously sharing like jewish tradition and my culture through music and i performed all over the world for all different types of communities so that was like really important that my music have a message you know my music always had a message you know bringing people together as an observant jewish singer i I want to uh, you know create that sense of community wherever I go and connect people from all different backgrounds and beliefs. Um, music is obviously uplifting, you know, Jewish music in particular has always been used to, you know, evoke joy and comfort and inspiration. So I, I really tried to share those positive emotions with my audience. Um, educating people, you know, there's a lot to learn, not just from the music, but even in between the songs, when I used to speak and communicate, it was an opportunity for me to be like a bit of a teacher. So that was always fun. And then, you know, expressing devotion to God, because, you know, we sing in the synagogue and in all faiths, music is used to connect. It's just, it reveals a very spiritual side of you. And and I always felt like I was able to express my love and devotion to God through song. So I would say that's pretty much my mission in
0: a nutshell. I love that mission. That's incredible. I mean, music is so important to me too. People know I, I am a professional opera singer. I haven't sung professionally in a little while, but that was what i did before i started classically abby and i think one of the things i've always talked about is how music is a, is a universal language no matter where no matter what language you actually speak you can communicate through music true
1: yeah and i and i saw that time and time again because i would go travel to different communities like that was my job i was a a performing artist on the road and I would walk into a room of people that I never met, and often they were different ages. They were different, um, you know. The, their their religious affiliations were different. And as soon as I took up my guitar and started strumming, and everybody relaxed a little, like that instant connection was made. It was so powerful. And people used to tell me, you know, I'm, I'm, a, a, let's say, a leader in my synagogue for all these years. I give classes once a week. I've never seen my crowd so turn on as they were when you were singing. Like it's so powerful. And I said, well, I, 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 this is just what I do. And, and you know, everything else just kind of happens because of the power of music.
0: Yeah. So what yeah. made you transition from music or rather maybe not transition because you're doing both, but in a sense, transition from music into podcasting?
1: OK, so um, I, I feel bad I didn't get into podcasting earlier. I don't know why. I, there was also a time when I felt that I didn't get into social media earlier, but I'm a little bit of a late bloomer in that sense. I remember, you know, thinking to myself, Facebook, Facebook, who needs it? And then everybody was on Facebook and Instagram, Instagram, who needs it? And then everybody was on Instagram and <laughs> podcasting the same thing. So I kind of um, fell into it um, pretty recently, actually. And I think this is something we also have to unpack because your listeners might not know that Jewish women don't or observant Jewish women, Orthodox Jews. We don't sing for men. Mm-hmm. So I have never sung for a mixed audience. I've never sang Fort men before. I will share a funny story though, quickly. That yeah. You guys will appreciate. I once sang in Bell Harbor and it was an older crowd. And I, I looked out in the crowd and I see in the back row. There's like an 80 year old woman with her 80 year old husband. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know, he slipped under the radar. <laughs> and they came over to me after the show. And he was like, I, I, that was so amazing. That was so terrific. And his wife looks at me and she goes, Please forgive me. He thinks you're Barbara Streisand. <laughs> I was like, okay, we, we could, you know, I, I could. Uh, you could take that compliment. I could take that compliment. Exactly. But really, <laughs> I don't, I don't sing for men um, mm-hmm. because of, you know, that there's actually a, a spiritual reason for that, which we could get into if you want. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. So- I would love to, you know, I think it's always interesting for my listeners to understand where certain things that we do come from. Now, I didn't observe that I sang for men. um, And I have kind of some rabbinical opinions that lean a little bit more lenient on that topic. But I also know kolisha, which is the term for this of women not singing in front of men, is very important for very for many women, and they consider it halacha, meaning law. So can you explain the concept a little bit?
1: Yeah, totally, totally. Okay, so Men and women have a a different criteria for sexual arousal. We know that, Mm -hmm. you know, hearing and according to Jewish tradition, hearing a woman sing is sexually arousing for a man. And and by sexual arousal, I mean, like he's thinking of her in terms of her physical dimensions as opposed to her spiritual qualities. Mm -hmm. So while it might be hard for a woman to imagine to imagine such a thing, you know, the, the the sages were very in tune with human nature they were and, and this rule has been kept by by jews for thousands of years because men and women do have this different criteria for for sexual arousal mm-hmm. um, so with this in mind you know the torah set up these barriers to protect society's moral fabric essentially and the emphasis was was placed to counter the reality of of the man's weaker character In in those areas, you know, hearing the the pleasant melody of of a woman singing um, could be an issue for a man. And therefore, we, we do our best to refrain from exposing them to this erotic situation. Now, you could argue that, you know, things have changed and we're in a modern world and that sensitivity maybe has been lost, like the sensuality of a woman's voice. Um, and that's, and there's room to, to, to there is room to, to say that, to suggest that. And like you said, different rabbis have different opinions. Um, yeah. I mean, what I'll say,
0: yeah, go ahead. You finish and okay. then I'll. Um, but
1: however, there is, there is a, a story in Greek mythology, which I always found fascinating. Um, the, I don't know exactly the details, but the, um, the sirens that were called the sirens, they were female seductresses and they used to lure sailors with their voices. So the concept that men could be lured in by a woman's sweet voice, that's not, it's not crazy to, you know, that that is the reality. Mm-hmm. So, even though we might be, you know, enlightened today, um, if anything, it, it, you could even argue the opposite that, like, the media influence has actually created this atmosphere where the, the sexu- sexualization of women and the objectification of women is even stronger than ever. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and just to wrap it up, you know, people are listening might be saying, well, what does that have? Like, if the men can't control themselves, why do the women have to suffer the restrictions? Mm -hmm. And ultimately it's because we're all in this together and we all have to do our, our share to help each other out. So, you know, it's in, it's my advantage. It's, it's in my advantage to help men keep things under control. It Mm -hmm. is in my advantage and it just, and ultimately it serves both men and women to avoid the situations, which will lead to promiscuity.
0: Yeah. So I think that that's, exactly right i mean here i'll explain a little bit about where i where i stood at this in this point and also where i agree with you which is i think women should be much more flattered by the idea that there is so there are so many things that we do that we don't even think about that are very attractive to men and singing is one of those things and that's a beautiful thing right that a woman can attract a man just through her voice i'm always saying to women like stop being offended that's a great thing <laughs> that we can do that right and it's not mm-hmm. a I mean it's not a good thing that we've desensitized ourselves desensitized people more and more over time to things that should be attractive to one another where what used to be attractive maybe showing you know the upper thigh area if you wore like a shorter skirt or if your skirt rode up a little bit now is like who cares because people wear short shorts and show the bottom of their you know bums with what they're wearing and it's not actually better for relationships when we desensitize ourselves to the things that could cause us to be attracted to one another so
1: and it's not just a religious thing you know uh, Bradley mm -hmm. Cooper I saw him on an interview and he was talking about Lady Gaga when they were singing the the shallow I remember what movie it was in and he said that when she starts singing the electricity in the room changes and Mm -hmm. this is it's not a religious thing he just said when he said, time stands still when Lady Gaga starts singing. That's how powerful her voice is. And you could say that about Andrea Bucelli. But when a woman sings, the, the 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 power is just all the more greater because she's, you know, feminine and beautiful and attractive and appealing and all those things.
0: Yeah. So as far as my own practice of it, the thing that I came to, and I don't know where I stand on it now, but the thing that I came to was, You shouldn't be a stumbling block is kind of the idea, uh, which is sort of in line with what you were saying earlier. Mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. if you are going to sing, it is more on the man not to attend. So that was was my the way I practiced it at the time. Um, But I understand 100 percent the people who practice Kul Isha and take it seriously. It makes sense to me and I get it.
1: And that's why I share my music on social media, because I mean, the majority of my followers are women, but I, I can't um limit my career to that extent because of, of of men who might be, you know, maybe not following the law or doing what they're not supposed to. And there might be men who don't follow that particular halacha and on, you know, and they're entitled and I'm entitled to share my music. So, right. yeah, exactly. I think it works out great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I'm so glad we got to have that discussion because I think it's really interesting, as always, to introduce people who don't know a lot about these Jewish laws to more ideas that they've never heard of and explain where they come from so what so that kind of leads into my next question which is you might know that many of my uh subscribers are christian and i find they're often curious about the differences and similarities between judaism and christianity so i figured i would kind of say my what i think is the biggest difference and the biggest similarity um And then i would love to hear your thoughts on that because i think it's so interesting from an orthodox perspective so for me i think that the biggest difference between between judaism and christianity is simply the fact that it's an ethnicity that for us when we have a child when a woman has a child it's passed through the mother whether that child is jewish and even if you're not a religious jew even if you don't observe the laws or even believe in god you are still jewish that doesn't really exist in Christianity in the same way. But the biggest similarity is the values. I mean, they're called Judeo- Judeo-Christian Judeo values for a reason, that we all are sharing these traditional values that are so important that make up, as you said, the social fabric of society like that, or rather the moral fabric of society that is so important. And I think that that's really the biggest overlap. So yeah, now I'd yeah, love to yeah. hear what you think.
1: <laughs> okay, so I, I dug a little deeper because I really <laughs> wanted to... You know, you I really wanted to get to and I, you, you gave me some food for thought because, you know, you gave me kind of an outline of what we might talk about. And when you mentioned Christianity, I said, well, what do I actually know about the differences? You know, I, I grew up Jewish. We didn't study Christianity. It's not something I know much about, honestly. So I went back to the original sin. So let's talk about the original sin for a second. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. God tells them not to eat the apple from the Tree of Knowledge and they eat the apple. And we all know that they were evicted from the Garden of Eden and that all ended quicker than. You know, one, two, three. So <laughs> although the, the Christian idea um, does differ greatly from the Jewish idea, um, both concepts are uh, actually let me restart. So Judaism believes that the original sin had a significant cosmic repercussion in the world and that Adam and Eve and, Adam and Eve were created as perfect beings who were connected to God and then they sinned and they were separated from god it, it created a separation between them so christianity views the original sin as like a an irre, irre, irrevocable and like a, an unchangeable uh, a blemish a blight on the human soul uh, making connection to god impossible except through faith in jesus that's mm. the the core essence of christianity Juda- judaism on the other hand teaches that the essence of the divine soul always remains untainted and holy um, and the sin actually only introduced a secondary soul known as our animal soul, and that contains the drive for egotism and and selfishness and hedonism and all the things that pull us away from God. So you know we learn in Judaism this hopeful vision that we do have the freedom and the capacity to 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 liberate ourselves um, and achieve a level of holiness and perfection and reconnection with God and um, we could fight, you know. We can win over those negative forces, and that through the Torah and through the actual practice of Judaism, um, uh, we we re- we reconnect, and we kind of, you know, Tikkun Olam is is a, a, a an expression that's been hijacked by the Reform community, but ultimately, it means to repair the world and bring it back to the original state that it was in in the Garden of Eden. So. That's why Judaism places such a strong emphasis on observance and practice and Christianity prior prioritizes faith. You know, they talk a lot about faith. What's in your heart? What do you believe? Are, do you believe? Are you a believer? You know, observant Jews, we have so many commandments, 613 commandments. And like, you know, from the morning to the night, we're busy, preoccupied. You don't even have time to think. You don't even have time to believe. You know, God gave the Bible, God, God gave the Torah on Mount Sinai and the Jews said, we will do and then we will hear first. Mm-hmm. We're just going to do. And God kept them busy. So I, I think the big the biggest difference between Christianity and Judaism is the actual practice versus the faith, because you can um, be a Jew and never practice Judaism and you still remain a Jew. But to be a Christian that has no faith, then, you know, the, you have to explore and, and figure out why you're lacking in that area. Does mm-hmm. that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. I love that. That's really, really fascinating. And I'm sure that our my subscribers will uh well, let, that, let us know what they think about that. Oh, if by, all, a, means, by yeah, all means. Yeah, absolutely. I love that
1: stuff. It's so, not about better or worse, by the way. It's not about better or worse. It's just a different approach. It's absolutely 100%. just a different approach. And I, I, uh, I respect Christians and I respect uh, Muslims and I, re- I respect all people of faith and people of not faith as well or, you know, who don't believe. But ultimately, we have to respect our differences and, um, you know, be honest about them.
0: And that's exactly. And I was going to say, and I think there's nothing wrong with drawing those comparisons as in a way to understand each other better so that we know where each, you know, where we're coming from. We we all are, you know, doing our best to serve God. It's just a question of, you know, what that looks like. That's true. Mm -hmm. So you're a conservative woman. You're very open about it. So how do you feel that your faith informs your politics? I think a lot of people believe that Judaism, you know, they hear about Jews and they assume we're on the left because so many non-observant Jews are on the left. But that's really not the the case for Orthodox Judaism. So how do you find that your Orthodox Judaism informs your beliefs as far as uh, politics and conservatism? Right.
1: So I really just got into politics, actually, when Obama was running for president. I remember looking at the TV and saying, he looks like a nice guy. And my husband's like, he's a Democrat. I'm like, who cares? He's cool. <laughs> I was really not so into politics until a little later in the game. Like I said, I'm a late bloomer. Um, but then when I got into it, it, it became a little bit of an obsession. But, you know, I think there was a, a Pew Research um, a poll or a survey done rather in America. At this point, 75 percent of Orthodox Jews are overwhelmingly Um, affiliating with the Republican Party. And I think that has a lot to do with Trump's handling of policy in Israel. I mean, it created a major shift. It was it was practically a revolution, you know, Mm -hmm. for a president to be a president to be so outspoken in his support for Israel, especially considering the climate in America where things have been shifting more and more in that sense. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, definitely an issue because I'm in Israel um I'm an orthodox Jew I have a strong connection to the land and I'm going to support the political parties that that prioritize the, my country's security and and my interests that's just the reality of it and also there's this element of, of religious conservatism you know orthodox Juda- orthodox Judaism the values the traditional family structures the the social values they really do align with right wing political ideologies they do um, you know, we 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 take issue with liberal po- policies uh, on abortion, gay rights, drug le- uh, you know dr- legalizing drugs, um, and and that's just the reality of it. I I don't like saying that I am a Republican, and 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 you know I'm, I I because there are things that don't maybe I don't identify with as as a Jew, and mm-hmm. and I I recognize that the Republican. Um, party is flawed in many ways, as is the Democrat Party. So I, I I'm not, and I'm not as patriotic anymore. Perhaps because I don't live in America, but I would say my conservatism is intertwined with my, you know, Jewish values.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense, and that's why I often use the. I would say I'm, I'm much more interested in culture than I am in politics. So I, and that's really what I focus on in my, in my chan, on my channel, on my podcast. And I talk about this stuff from a conservative perspective. I I very, very rarely, if ever, use the term Republican because I much more align with conservative values than the Republican Party.
1: Right. That's that's a very good point, actually, because I was actually thinking to myself, I don't even know if I'm a Republican anymore. I might be a libertarian. I I just feel (laughs) like I've kind of veered a little more center as i got get older and i'm a little more open minded and it doesn't and i don't know i don't really identify with a particular party so i like that idea i am conservative and you know that that's basically what it all comes down to
0: yeah absolutely so i want to talk a little bit about femininity womanhood motherhood so i have two questions for you on that front the first is you're a singer and a musician you told us that you travel doing your doing your music so how did you make that work as a religious Jew and as a wife and as a mom.
1: Okay. So before I had kids, um, everything was la-di-da. I grabbed my guitar. I was at the door. <laughs> and then once <laughs> I had children, I remember getting on stage in my sequins with my, you know, my big, my shatel, my big wig, I cover my hair and you know, you could just stick a curly, I have a curly wig. You could just I just stuck it on my head and put on a pair of high heels. And suddenly I was Hamila, the performer. It was like such a transformation. I remember laughing and telling the audience an hour ago, I was on my knees giving my kids a bath. I literally (laughs) kid you not like, that's how, that's how down to earth I was about the reality of it. There, there was no uh, rider that included a fancy green room with only green M&Ms and then all that, you know, you know, uh, filtered water undistilled like it's reality. You know, I, I would, sometimes take a bus. I once performed somewhere and I actually had to take a bus because my husband was working that night. And when I got there, um, a, a little girl said, Oh my God, you're Hanala. How did you get here? Did you take a private airplane? I'm like, no, I took the bus. <laughs> so there's definitely oh. like this reality check when you have children that no matter how big of a star you are, um, five minutes ago, you were nobody. Like you were just <laughs> somebody's mom, not nobody, but somebody's mom. And, and they didn't care what you, you know, what about your profession. So, for me, like juggling being a singer and being a mom, obviously, you know, there's the 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 scheduling like you have to work out babysitters that my husband's around. I tried not to travel around the weekend so I could be home for Shabbat. So that's, you know, my religious obligations obviously are a priority and they come first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as far as like managing with the kids, it is a balance. It was really always a balance. You know, uh, um, I, I have to. I have to obviously make a living and do what I love and feel fulfilled. But um, there were times when, and even now, like I make, I make choices that that, that work out better for my family. Like my husband's been in America for the last few weeks and he's working. And that means a lot of home time for me. And as a creative that could get rather stifling, but I have to remind myself, I am a star in my own house. Mm -hmm. I am a celebrity to my children. When I pay attention to them, I am their entire universe. So yeah, it feels great to have the applause and it feels great to get dressed up and go out and people should clap for me and tell me that I'm amazing. But when my little kid, you know, my little son, my baby, he's seven, um, <laughs> when he says to me, Please can you sing You Are My Sunshine to me one more time before I go into bed? And he just relaxes underneath my touch. I really feel such a warmth in my heart. It really does match that that high that I have after I sing. So for me, it was very much about being realistic, um, being practical, um, and allowing myself to realize that, you know, maybe I'll never be a multimillionaire with, you know, an Oscar or Grammy, but, um, I have so many things that a lot of other singers don't, you know, their lives are so empty. They have millions of dollars and no love, no family. Um, and you know, life is not so great for them. So I am just trying to remind myself what I do have.
0: Yeah. I love it. So last question, sort of putting you on the spot, because I didn't actually ask this question in our in our outline that I had sent you. But <laughs> what okay. if you could describe femininity in three words, what three words would you choose? I could not
1: um, think of a better question for me, Hanala. And I'll tell you why, because my name is Hana. Mm-hmm. and Chana in Hebrew is spelled with three letters. Chet, nun, hey. Mm-hmm. The Chet in my name or my my name rather is an acronym. My name is an acronym for the three most important commandments that a Jewish woman has. That is challah, which is um, separating the kneaded dough before you bake it. Uh, you know this was and in the times of the temple, it was donated to the priests. The dough, um, a portion of the dough every week. Um, nida, which is the laws of family purity, which we don't have to get into, but anyone could do a quick Google search for the Jewish laws of family purity and see what that's all about. But basically, it's separating when you have your period and going. Um, for ritual immersion every month. Um, and then um, the hay is hadlakat hanerot, which is lighting the Shabbat, the Shabbos candles or keeping Shabbat. So for me, my femininity, A, ties into my name, because halanit mm-hmm. and hadlakat that's the acronym for Hana which is my name. Um, also, my name actually means grace. Chet nun, Khain means grace. And grace is a very feminine quality. So I grew up... Um, in an Orthodox home, but we were also Hasidim, actually, and not the ones with the curly paeus, but rather um, Chabad Hasidim. Mm-hmm. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe was a revolutionary leader in his approach towards women in Judaism. And I grew up being encouraged to be a strong woman. My grandmother was a published poet. My great aunt was a published recording artist. She was the first woman in in the history of Jewish music to create albums of of children's music in the 1970s we grew up listening to her records it had never been done before I don't know if you know know the song Hashem gave us a present do you know what it was he gave us that you know what yeah she wrote that song and all these like little preschool songs yeah so I grew up knowing that we can do anything but at the same time we were taught very um specifically that it was because of the Jewish women that, that that we were married to leave Egypt. It was because of the Jewish women, the crown of the Jewish people, of the Jewish people, that we continued to um, convey the important messages that were in the Torah and to maintain our identity and to you know keep the chain um, alive or keep our traditions alive and keep the you know not break the chain. And for me, you know, tapping into my strengths as a woman and living a life as a Torah Jew were always completely cohesive. I was never told to lower my voice. I was never told to cover up and be quiet and go away. I was told be bold, be bright, be feminine, be graceful. Revel in the commandments. Revel in the mitzvot that bring out your femininity, and you will reap the benefits by having a a great home, which I do. I have four great kids and a loving husband. Um, be a great career and see meaning and and um, fulfillment in my spiritual life. So for me, I would have to say the three. Words are chala, nida, and hadlakat
0: hanerot. All Hebrew. <laughs> so now let's get into our faith talk for the week. So this week's Torah portion is B'shalach, which means when he sent, as in Pharaoh sending the Israelites out of Egypt. So I'm going to give a quick overview of uh, this of this week's Torah portion of the Parsha. That's that word in Hebrew. In this week's Torah portion, the Jews are sent out of Egypt by Pharaoh. God immediately takes them to the Red Sea, knowing that Pharaoh will believe that the Israelites are lost and trapped in the desert. Because of that, Pharaoh is planning, he will chase after the Jews, regretting his decision to let them go. So Pharaoh does that, and the Jews cry out to Moses, asking why God took them out of Egypt, only to have them die in the desert. God splits the Red Sea and brings the Jews safely through it, while the egyptians plunge in after them but god brings the waters down upon the egyptians and drowns them the israelites praise god for saving their lives after walking for three days without water they come to mara but the water is too bitter to drink moses throws in a piece of wood and the water becomes sweet after a month of wandering in the desert the israelites have run out of food god promises to bring them mana during the day and quails at night Moses directs the Israelites on the exact ways to gather the manna, and many of them ignore his instructions. Later, they run out of water again, and Moses hits a rock, which issues forth water. At the end of this Torah portion, the Jews fight Amalek, which is a, a group of people that's very, um, has a lot of notoriety <laughs> in the Jewish faith, uh, that we, they're kind of like our lifelong enemy. And when Moses raises his arms, the Jews begin winning the fight. But when he lowers them, Amalek wins. He sits down and two people support his arms to keep them in the air. And the Israelites win the war. So that is this week's Torah portion. Um, I don't know about you, but I love Exodus. I love Shemot. What? Do, what do you Totally. Yeah, right? It's so amazing. Well, well,
1: first of all, when we talk about it with our kids, it's the most, uh, you know, it's a story. It's a beautiful story. I mean, the Prince of Egypt is just a phenomenal uh, a phenomenal film because it's there's it's full of adventure and it's full of um, drama and, and tension. And then there's this redemption at the end and freedom of the slaves. I mean, it's just such a powerful story. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I personally love the part when the Jews come to the Dead Sea and uh, the, and it splits the Red Sea. I'm sorry. I live in Israel, so I'm thinking about the Dead Sea. But the Red Sea <laughs> splits and the Jews cross. And when they get to the other side, Miriam, who's Moses's sister, takes out her tambourine and she starts dancing and singing with the Jewish women. And and it's it's so uh, amazing because it's right there in the Bible how the women use their voices to inspire and to reinvigorate a nation that was dehydrated, exhausted. I mean, the fear that they felt as Caro's you know, the Pharaoh's troops are approaching that they have, they would have to go de- back to Egypt. You know, they were, they were Jews that didn't want to leave Egypt. They, you know, where they were going or what was the, what the future held. So for them to have a moment of sheer joy, when they could just let go and dance and celebrate and hold hands with their sisters and connect and and use their voices to praise God. I think it's one of the most powerful moments, certainly um, in, you know, in, in the, in this, uh, in um And Shemot in the book of Shemot of names. And um, it's something I've I've sung about. It's something I've written music about. And for me, that's why this particular Parsha was always very special. This particular, um, you know, Sedra of of Shemot. Yeah.
0: I Uh, felt totally exactly the same way. I always loved that part as a singer, as a woman, it always really inspired me because not only were they raising their voices in In song, it was in praise of god and and to me that made it feel like any time I raised my voice in song, even if i wasn't singing a prayer, it was directly in praise of God for giving me this voice, for giving me this opportunity to sing
1: yeah well the music is is an expression of the soul i mean there's no question about that. I actually just had this conversation on my podcast with a journalist named Eli Lake. He's really like square you know he writes for bloomberg like really like you know one of those uh, stiff you know professionals and then he starts talking about music and he tells me that he's a huge hip hop fan i'm like i would never ever have imagined that you like rap music and he asked me if i feel that um there's some sort of spiritual element in music and i said absolutely music is the pen of the soul and that's why you have the most um uh, well obviously we could talk about classical music all day because that's you know your specialty we know that some of the Music, the music pieces created by these um, that by, by these composers is just beyond comprehension. The sophistication of it. I mean, this stuff could be analyzed for generations, generations to come. Can't compare it to some of the stuff that's coming out now. Um, but the reason for that is because the capacity to sing is a godly quality. It really is, and I do think that it's something that we can tap into that could create that connection. Sometimes you cannot. Um, connect to God, unless it's through a song, unless it's through, you know, putting on uh, a, whether it's your favorite singer, or if you're, if you're a person of faith and you go to church and you go to synagogue and they're singing that, that hymn or that, you know, prayer that suddenly, you know, you feel emotional and, and that's good. That's great. That we're supposed to have those tools to help us in our service of God. So I believe that hundred percent talent is a gift Mm
0: -hmm. and it's a godly one. Yeah, I, I love that. And I totally agree. So we had a quick technical difficulty given that we are recording around the world from each other, but we're back. And I want to talk about the fact that the Jews don't trust in God after having all of these miracles done for them. Right. They just saw all of the plagues happen in Egypt. Like the most you could ever see God's presence just happened to them. And then they spend this entire Torah portion complaining, whining, showing fear, not trusting in God. Right. Like, it's so interesting that we see the Jewish people who have just seen. And and this happens throughout the Torah. Right. We see them get like they receive the Torah or they're told they're going to receive the Torah. And two minutes later, they're like building the golden calf. Right. Like they just don't have that innate trust in them. So why? So I think there's two parts to this. One is that it is human nature to forget the good quickly when something good happens to us. When we feel like God has given us blessings within two or three days, like that fades. This is actually, it's interesting. I'm reading a book called the happiness hypothesis and uh, it's called the adjustment principle. And the idea that we adjust to any circumstances very quickly and go back to kind of list like middle ground. So like god does something amazing for us we don't just live our lives thinking okay god's going to continually do amazing things for us we can notice his presence we can notice his miracles instead we just kind of revert back to well why isn't god doing something for me today there must be something wrong as well the jews had been lowered and debased in egypt and removed from their holiness and from god's presence which makes it easy for them to forget god's miracles even after a few days when they just saw even days after they just saw it in full force so how can we incorporate this into our lives and i want to hear your thoughts on it too so i'm just kind of dropping all of my thoughts first but what can we learn from this when something bad is happening instead of complaining that god doesn't care about us we should try to remember god's miracles and pray from a place of knowing god is there rather than from a place of whining that god isn't doing things on our schedule But I think even more importantly and more relevant is that we're living in our own version of Egypt. We are living in a world that is debased and that has so much bad going on that we have to constantly kind of tune out. And it's important that we not lose our connection to God and not lose our holiness. And it's our responsibility not to allow ourselves to become debased, but instead to stay close to God's presence. So I just wanted to share that thought, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Like, how can we do that? How can we keep ourselves separate from everything that we're constantly bombarded with, whether that be in media, movies, music, whatever, and stay close to God?
1: Right. Well, I think that when we uh, let's think about, let's say, for dieting, for example, you know, what the, the the the. problem that people have when they start dieting is that they're hungry the whole time. Like they they just need to eat. And most nutritionists will advise crowding out. Instead of thinking about what you're not going to eat, think about all the good stuff you're going to take in. You're going to have a huge salad and you're going to have all these healthy proteins and you're going to satisfy yourself in that way. So that emptiness is kind of filled because it's very hard just to say you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't eat that because you are going to feel like something is lacking. So I think that in general, um, you know, inspiration it's fleeting because it's tied to all these emotions and all these external factors that are always changing, right? So people feel in, they're, they're motivated and you're inspired and you're in, you know, you're in the moment and then it kind of fades away. So it's really hard to sustain those, those high levels of inspiration and motivation without a plan. You need a clear plan. You need actionable steps to turn the inspiration and turn the ideas into reality. So if you want that inspiration to last longer – um, you have to anchor it, like, in values and in goals and engage in activities and behaviors that bring joy and meaning to your life. And I think when the Jews left Egypt, they hadn't received the Torah yet. They did not have a plan of action. They didn't have concrete ways to manifest, to channel, um, this inspiration and this gratitude. So because they're humans and it's human nature, it, it it came in and it really quickly and it went really quickly. So I think the lesson we could learn is that when you are feeling those moments of inspiration, don't assume you're gonna wake up tomorrow ready to change your life because today you had a you know a great experience either in synagogue or reading a book or listening to an audiobook. We're all like jazz and excited, my life is gonna to change today. And then, you know, bad habits just creep up one, two, three. You really have to put an action and plan and have concrete steps that will keep you getting towards your goal and give you those little moments of pride and and success and, you know, gratification. And then the inspiration when it comes will only boost your journey. Does does that make sense?
0: I love it. I think that's absolutely correct. I like the idea of they always say you can't not do something. You can only do something. So if you're trying not to do something, instead of saying, I'm not going to do that thing, you say, I'm going to replace, it's exactly what you were mentioning. You're going to replace it with a different action. And I think that's exactly right. right. And that's the way that right. we have to live our lives in a positive manner. We have to do things yeah. that are good and fill our our souls, our hearts, our cups in with things that will keep us close to God, will keep us you know, strong in our faith, strong in our beliefs, even when we're surrounded by things that we're, yeah. That can you, can't live, on, you
1: can't live on inspiration alone. You cannot live on inspiration alone.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: It's got to be part of of something bigger. I love that. That's interesting stuff. It's a great conversation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So now let's get into my premium subscriber questions. If you would like to submit questions for podcasts just like this, make sure to head over to classicallyabby.substack.com and become a premium subscriber today. So let's start off with this question. And these were specifically for you. So we've got a couple that are just specifically because people knew you were coming on. So, what regional differences are there between people who practice Orthodox Judaism? When you mean, what do you mean by regional? So, I think what she's talking about is: do people who are from Morocco practice differently than people from Germany? Right. Okay, from people, That's right. you know, around the world.
1: Okay, so obviously, there's the the major two groups of the Jewish ethnicity, which are which consist of Sephardim and Ashkenazim. So, the Jews that. Uh, Came from the Middle East and North Africa. Those are the Sephardic Jews or the dark-skinned Jews, and those range from, you know, Ethiopian who are black. Um, and then, you know, my husband's Bukharian, and he he grew up in Uzbekistan on the border of Russia, which is not the Middle East, um, but they are Sephardic Jews as well, a- originating generations before from Persia. So you have the Sephardic Jews, and then you have Ashkenazic Jews like myself, the very white ones who need to wear a lot of sunscreen, and we came from Western Europe, essentially. Now, all Jews originally, um, as our one tribe, were in the land of Israel thousands of years ago, but when we were expelled time and time again, um, and, you know, we ended up all in in every corner of the world. So as far as observance goes, you know, there's different ways uh, um, to pronounce Hebrew, you know, the, the... the um, Yemenite Jews you could you could barely understand them. Obviously, there's the language of Yiddish. A Yemenite Jew and a Hasidic Jew are so different in so many ways. They really do. It's really hard to believe they're practicing the same religion. Um, but ultimately, they they are both committed to the letter of the law. It's more the personal traditions and the you know the the stuff that they've kind of passed on through generations that um, kind of like flavor their observance. Um, so you can't really mess around with like the, the hardcore basics, you know, kosher is kosher, Shabbat is Shabbat, but what you eat on Shabbat and you know, the style of food that you like and the tunes that you sing and the way you read the Torah, the accent that you have, those things definitely vary. But I think that's what makes the Jewish people so interesting. We're so different. We're so unique. We're so diverse, but we have the Torah in common.
0: Yeah. No, I I love the different traditions from around the world. And I think it's so cool that as the Jewish people, we can look at somebody who's practicing something that maybe doesn't look so similar to what we do and say, but you're still doing you're still doing the right thing. It's just a different version of it. So, like, for example, on Passover, many Sephardim Sephardic Jews, people from like Spain and, you know, generally we they're darker skinned Jews. Uh, they have um, rice and they have certain things that Ashkenaz Jews, kind of whiter European Jews, don't eat. And they're still, they're both fine. It's just the tradition developed in a different way based on where they where they were living and, and kind of what the people were doing around them.
1: Yeah. I'm married to a Sephardic Jew and I eat rice on Passover and rice on Passover in my parents' house is like, Bad blasphemy, you know, but I'm sitting pretty here. I have my peanuts and my bamba and all the things that are like, you know, so delicious that we were restricted, um, mm-hmm. a, a Passover from, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's um, still as observant as the next Jew. So it's all good. Yep. It's
0: amazing. I love it. Uh, another question that I got is I'm a reformed Jew and I struggle with being a conservative in a reformed synagogue as most of the people in my community are leftists. Do you have any advice?
1: Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, let me think for a second. <laughs> all right, so first of all, you definitely want you want to you want to unite. So you want to focus on your shared values. You know, you do want to you know see what you do have in common. You know, identify and, and emphasize um, the common values that you share with mm-hmm. with your synagogue because that is your community. So you could find a space for yourself in social justice and compassion and spirituality. So you definitely want to find the things that you have in common. I would avoid all political discussion, honestly, like refrain from engaging in political debates with people in your synagogue. That's not why you're there. You're you're there to to worship, not to discuss politics. Um, Also, you know, the purpose of faith or one of the, the advantages of faith is that we have this community building. So when you participate like in all these synagogue programs or these church programs, you know, when you do charity work or, Uh, educational programs, like cultural events, like those are the places that you build relationships with the people in your community. So I would definitely um, suggest trying to get involved more like hands-on and, 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 you know, find support outside of your synagogue. You know, find people that align with you, your political beliefs that are not involved in the synagogue. Don't come into the show looking for someone to talk to about politics because you haven't had an opportunity all week. And then, you know, just remember that we can always learn from other people and we can stay grounded and maintain our sense of, you know, perspective, but be open-minded and, and learn from, you know, it, it, we, it, we learn in ethics of our fathers, like who is wise, one who learns from, from all people. So, so take a minute, listen, maybe you learn something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so funny. Yeah, no, I love that. And I will say I have a slightly different perspective given that my husband grew up reform. You know, he has shared with me just how far left the reform movement has gone. And I think the issue you'll have to evaluate whether or not your practice of faith is still aligned with the people you're practicing around. Because reform Judaism in many ways it does not hold with traditional values, with conservative values. And
1: well, uh, I- let's put it. I I think people will appreciate this. Reform Judaism used to be progressive Judaism, and now it's Jewish progressivism. (laughs) So, if you really feel like Judaism is your priority, then it is time to move out of Reform. And I I do feel—I'll say it straight out—like Reform does not have a space for people at this point um, who are who are observant, like that. They're not focused on halacha. They're not focused on the letter of the law. So, if it's come to a point where you don't have a relationship with the people in your synagogue, um, and and you and you're not really connecting, then maybe it is time to move on.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what I was going to say: is that it may be time for you to evaluate your practice of Judaism, what it means to you, what's important to you, and then start maybe trying to attend a chabad. That's usually my uh, my recommendation. My husband and I attended chabads when we were living around the country and it was so wonderful to see so many different kinds of people there. And so you never have to worry about feeling judged. It can just be a place for you to explore becoming observant in a different way. And you will feel more welcomed there than perhaps where you are now. Right. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. So that is my advice for that. And I love your advice, too so let's ask this question which is this is kind of a funny one do you have any advice for making your husband feel appreciated during pregnancy my husband has stepped up in so many ways and i just have no energy but i want him to know how much i love and appreciate him
1: okay well first of all say that you love and appreciate him don't yes. underestimate the value in actually saying expressing the gratitude thank you honey for everything you do for me and the baby all the errands you're running the cooking you're doing just say the words you know mm-hmm. and obviously communicate have the conversation um he, he doesn't expect you to you know run around looking for a present for him or to go to the gym because that's something that you used to do together like be realistic make time for each other and and, and remember like be when you are pregnant it is a very hard time for your spouse cuz he knows that you're bonding with that baby and that's something that he's not having so mm-hmm you know, plan something special for him, make his favorite meal, give him a massage or a movie night. I would, I have four kids, you know, yes, you feel like crap by the time you're in your 37th week, but you have 37 weeks that you're, or or let's say 20 of them that you're feeling pretty good. As a matter of fact, some women feel great. They feel sexier than ever. Mm -hmm. So, and also like the small things like involve, if your husband's the type, my husband's not the type of guy, like he doesn't want to go see the sonograms. He doesn't want to go to the doctor's office. Like, just let me know when the baby's coming. But like, if your husband's that kind of guy, you know, have him, have him come to the doctor's appointments with you. Talk about the baby names, decorate the nursery, do a little shopping. And yeah, ultimately like a little text message, like guys are so easy to please in that way. A little text message from a wife. I love you, honey. I, I, I feel like a whale, but you make me feel like a queen. <laughs> like that, I, I, you know, just be real, be, be nice.
0: I love it. That's exactly right. I agree with everything you said. I think just being, showing your love, showing that you respect him, showing that you appreciate him, just telling him that is really important. And then just as you kind of mentioned, easy, spent quality time. So like you want to, you're feeling tired, you're feeling exhausted, honey, I'm going to order in pizza tonight and I want to watch a movie with you. And I don't want to do anything else, but spend time with you or like we're going to play a couple of board games and we're going to keep it simple but i don't have to do a lot because maybe i'm too tired to make dinner tonight but at least we're going to be spending time together and i want you to know i'm putting you first for that for the next two or three hours whatever totally. it is you can absolutely like devote i think I've talked about this before, but I I won't get into it too much, but quality time really is important. And it's not like it's a unique thing that is only one of the five love love languages. My feeling is quality time is the love language that all of the other love languages are built on. So using quality time is like the best way to show that you appreciate your husband. So just saying, whatever it is, keep it simple, but I'm just gonna be focused on you for now because I want you to know that I love you and I'm so grateful for you. I think that's plenty and he'll really appreciate it. Yeah. So well said. So I think that is it for today's episode of the classically Abby podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell us where we can find you. Um, I'm a fan of
1: music. You can do a quick Google that's CH like Hanukkah, the weekly squeeze podcast Thursdays. I'm on Instagram. Um, And yeah, I mean, uh, my podcast is a little different than yours. I don't speak specifically um, as uh, on feminism, the way you do on, 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 classical feminism the way you do it's more comedy politics and religion um but i do i, I have connected to you so i do know that if people like you they were like me and vice versa my audience loved you and it's always nice to make a connection with women around the world and i am grateful that you gave this opportunity
0: I love having my followers, first of all, get to know more Orthodox Jewish creators. I think that's so important for people to see us in this public space because not many people know Orthodox Jews in person. So for them to see us, know us, know that we're normal, know that we have a lot of really interesting points of view, I think is great. And on top of that, more women's Not that I'm only for women or you're only for women as far as your podcast, but more women's spaces are just great to be a part of. You get to be part of a community that you really enjoy. And there's a different perspective in hearing from a woman as opposed to somebody else. So I am really glad that I got to introduce you to my subscribers. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. If you would like to subscribe, make sure to follow me on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter. And you can follow this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you guys in my next episode. Bye.